set of these here in a minute. Put those on just real quickly. I haven't worn them in a long, long time. I want to say, first of all, before I go to the Word today, real quickly, um, I'm excited to share the Word of the Lord with you. And Jace has already said that we're doing a, a handout today, and I don't mean that financially. However, I mean, we would help somebody if there's need, certainly. And um, But number two, I, I'm going to use the screen today, and I'm going to share some things. It's going to be a bullet statement type sermon. I don't do that that often, but I felt in my heart of hearts it's the right thing for today. Now, this is going to sound cultish, so I didn't even bring the Bible to the pulpit with me today. Sounds cultish, but I preached the entire Bible last week from Genesis to pretty much Revelation. I didn't leave much uncovered. And so, um, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to be preaching the text or something. I've got some notes here where that's contained, but I want to keep this bullet statement going forward because I want to talk to you about something here in just a moment as you're getting those, those guides. I've got something here that's called dog tags, military dog tags. Everybody that served in our active duty or our National Guard, our reserves, knows exactly what these are. And you get yours when you first go to basic training. Um, after just a week or so, typically, you uh, sign, give them the information. And I can remember when I was... Um, when I was signing up, they asked you the questions. You give them your name and all that and your social security number, your blood type from there. And then your religion. Now, I had received the baptism in the Holy Spirit in May of 1986. And I had connected to the Word of Faith charismatic movement that was at that time known mostly as non-denominational. And I had not connected to the Assemblies of God as of yet. So when I was standing there with my bald head, and uh, that was the only time that I, and the only time I will be bald. Come on, I, I felt that, I'm speaking that in faith. And, uh, but nonetheless, I, uh, he said, well, what was your religion? And so it's non-denominational, so I said non-denominational. And they printed none on my tag. And I got that, and it's like I was a heathen, an atheist. And if I had somehow died in battle, I would have not gotten a Christian service, you know, a, a funeral service, because I was just an atheist that died in battle. So when I got to my first duty station down in Alexandria, Louisiana, by then I had began to connect to the Assemblies of God, and I got an opportunity to order me a new set of dog tags, and my dog tags, and now, well, the reason why this means a little bit to me, Sherry and I in 2001 had a house fire, and we lost every possession that we owned except for what was at the church. And I didn't have very many things at the church, but my dog tags were with some of my military things at the church. And now my dog tags say Pentecostal is what they say. So I am a Pentecostal. And if you're saying, Pastor, I don't even know what that means. Well, that's why you're here today. Because I'm going to talk to you about what it means to be Pentecostal, but under a little different angle, I'm going to talk to you about what it means to be a new Pentecostal. That's the entire context. That's where we're going to, it's not necessarily going to narrow. We're going to stay in that direction the entire time. A new Pentecostal. What does that mean? I'll try to explain it to you here in just a minute. Will you take just a moment to pray with me and let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of the Word of God today. That preaching, come on, we pray this often, that it will come easy in this house. Amen. Father, we love you. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather in worship to gather in song, to gather, God, in, in fellowship with one another, and then also to 
to look to the Word of God, to look to the context and the things that are going to be said. I do pray, Father, I believe that the speaker can be as the oracles of God. I'm exhorted by the apostle's pen to be made the oracles of God. But I pray, Father, just as much that the people will have a listening ear. Jesus himself said, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So, Father, as I look at this, it's an equation. It takes one with the other. It's not one without the other. If my words are anointed in the people's heart and their ears are stopped and their hearts are dull, Father God, then there'll be no, uh, Father, there'll be no conception. There'll be no instruction. But God, just the other, if they're, if, they're, if they're receptive and ready to receive, if I don't have a word, then there's no, there's no productivity that way either. But I believe my heart's prepared, and I also believe the hearts of the people are prepared, God. And I pray, Lord, that you will watch over this exhortation, and you will add your blessing to it. It's in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. I'm going to toss these out to you, if you would, and let you keep those or if I, so I don't forget those. Thank you. I want to take a moment and define for you. Like, surely I can trust a Marine with my stuff. Being an Air Force guy, though, i got to be careful there. So I know the Marines are jealous of us Air Force guys. Um, I want to take a moment to define Pentecost versus Pentecostal for just a moment. So I, I want to take a moment to help bring you into just briefly and how and why we use this term Pentecostal. In the Hebrew, just very quickly, it's the Feast of Weeks. The Hebrew calendar was set up around agricultural cycles, and the Hebrew people had certain events that they were to that they were to know in their in their in their calendar, and then they were also to to celebrate those cycles. It began with Passover. Passover was so important to the children of Israel that God moved their calendar. When Passover, when the children of Israel came out of Egyptian bondage, it was during the third month. But God said, "This is such an important moment." For you that they actually altered their calendar and made it the first month. They actually celebrated three feasts in one week. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. But God gave them instruction about the fourth feast, and that feast was called the Feast of Weeks. Because it would be seven weeks plus one day from the day following Passover. They were to number exactly seven weeks. Seven times seven is 49. Plus one, it would be 50. And that's where they would celebrate Pentecost. And so the Feast of first fruits was the celebration of the barley harvest, which was the first grain to ripen in Israel. And so at the end of the 50 days, that was the conclusion of the grain harvest, typically concluding with the wheat harvest. And they would celebrate that by bringing in a harvest of, of wheat as a part of their, um, their celebration and their offerings. There were additional offerings that took place that day, including the wave offering of two loaves of bread that were waved in the, in the Lord's house, in His presence. Before the Lord, they would wave two wave loaves and that became associated with the giving of the law. Whether or not that was intended by Moses when he gave the instruction, we don't know. But the giving of the law at Sinai took place approximately or exactly 50 days after Passover. So they began to, to be connected. And by the time that the New Testament writers are writing in Greek, the word for Pentecost in Greek is 50th. So now you can understand a little bit that when it says the day of Pentecost was fully come, it was, the, it was the Feast of Weeks, but it was being referenced as 50th because it was 50 days from Passover. And what happened, many of you are familiar with the outpouring. How many of you are familiar with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? 
right? We see that in Acts chapter number 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind filled all the house wherein they were setting. And so we also know in that moment they spoke with tongues, and thus the church was launched and empowered into apostolic ministry. And it is the belief in our generation today that those charismatic gifts that we see in the book of Acts and also Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 that they continue to every generation that will believe for them. And so the people that began to pursue the charismatic gifts about 130 years ago with a new movement began to be called Pentecostal because of their association with what took place on the day of Pentecost as Acts chapter 2. Does that make sense here today? Is everybody kind of say, all right, so I've got a little bit of a picture. So in our modern term, it is the Pentecostal movement. Any body, it's not just the Assemblies of God. We have across the road the Church of God. We have Church of God of Christ. We have all kinds of denominations. We've fractured just like the rest of the Christian world has into denominations. But worldwide, the Pentecostal movement has grown from that just small group of men and women that began to pursue spiritual gifts somewhere in the mid to late 1800s to now there are over 500 million adherents worldwide. Did y'all hear that? 500 million. That makes us, when you consider this, there's Roman Catholic, and in the Protestant movement, the first and largest is Anglican, and after Anglican, the next greatest number of men and women that that worship in a similar style is the Pentecostal slash Charismatics. And that's powerful because our history is traced to only 130 years. From that, the Assemblies of God, are we are called a Pentecostal fellowship. But now many of you have a misconstrued idea of what it means to be Pentecostal. And especially if you came to the Assemblies of God to First Assembly, often Pentecostals today are associated with apostolic. Pentecostals. Apostolic Pentecostals are those of what's known as Jesus' name only or oneness people or uh, that, that have a little bit different uh, view of Pentecostalism. But I want to go ahead and clarify for you today, the Assemblies of God is a Pentecostal fellowship. We believe in the continuation of the work of the Holy Spirit. Right, we do. And we want to see all of God's people walk and receive of the newness of the presence of God. So for many years, a Pentecostal believer looked, acted, and worshipped a certain way. Worship services were very fervent, loud. There were prayer lines and emphasis on holiness standards. And sometimes it was controlled pandemonium. Sometimes it wasn't controlled pandemonium. Sometimes the fire got out of control at times. And so, but, but again, with that, as we, the way that we worshiped, again, there became a stigma with who we are based upon the way things kind of fell out in our worship services. But for years now, it's been my observation that for about 30 years now, we've been seeing the changing face of Pentecostalism. I shared with Jace that I've got a couple of sermons that I preached over the years because Pentecostalism began to change, began to shift. And as Pentecostalism has shifted, the end result is a new Pentecostal is emerging. And with this new Pentecostal emerging, I wrote down a few questions because I thought about this. We've had so many people. COVID has opened up a whole new door of opportunity. How many of you know God takes what the enemy means for evil 
right? And he turns it for his good. And it's opened unto us an entire new audience. And I want to make sure that I'm bringing you along in the right frame of mind. I don't want you to be among us wondering about our values or who we are, what we believe. Or, you know, on the outside we look pretty normal, but maybe on the inside we're all mixed up and wacky. Well, I want to bring some clarity to that today. I've said it many times, and I'll say it again today. If you perceive weirdness that in Pentecostalism, the folks that you're perceiving are weird were weird before they came to the Pentecostal church. Right? Come on now. So now some changes that I've observed, I've witnessed it personally, and I anticipate they're going to continue. And I have to admit, as I give you these bullet statements today, and here, let me tell you how I'm going to give you these bullet statements today. I've got 20 bullet statements. Now, I'm not going to try to elaborate an entire sermon on each one of those. I may not finish those today, so I reserve the right to. If I feel like I've pushed you too far too long, then I'll just draw a line somewhere and I'll conclude it next week. But I think it's very important because I think if we grasp the magnitude of what God is doing, we'll be more contented with where we are and how we're viewed and what our label is. And we'll see that it's really a part. I don't mind saying it today. I am Pentecostal. I'm a child of God, genuinely born again by the Holy Spirit. I believe in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. But the means and the way that I express my adoration and praise to God and the way that I live my life can be viewed as being Pentecostal. And so today, as a Pentecostal pastor... I have longed for some of these, and I've been reluctant on others. I have to admit, some I've, drawn, I've dragged my feet on just a little bit. Whatever happens in me, and whatever happens to me, and whatever happens through me, I want it to be for His glory. Right, don't you? And so, here's the question again. I'm going to start to answer it for you. And so, what is a new Pentecostal? Let me tell you where it, this first came to me. This first thought came to me when I was sitting on my tractor in my barn. Now, I mean, everybody's got a holy place. That can be a holy place for me for a moment. I was sitting there, and I was contemplating on certain things related to church and and towards ministry and towards certain people's expectations. And I had this first thought just jump down in my heart, and that was actually the spark of this message because I thought to myself, I said, God, there's a new Pentecostal emerging. And this new Pentecostal is a little bit different than the preceding generations of Pentecostals. Number one, that's how we're going to start this. A new Pentecostal, you've got two blanks on this statement. A new Pentecostal is contented with his or her own experience, and we will not allow the previous generation to determine our Pentecostal experience for us. Let me say that very carefully, and what I mean by that is because you see this happen. Tradition is very important in the church. Right, it is. Now, traditions can be a good thing or they can be a difficult thing, correct? It's a good thing we're going to talk in just a moment about, but at the same time, traditions often are created based upon the experiences of previous generations. And previous generations can do one of two things to the generation that's coming. They can either impede or they can empower the, pre- the, the, for, the coming generation. Hello? Right? And I want to make sure that as I'm kind of a bridge somewhere, that I'm empowering a new generation. And I've learned that this new Pentecostal uh, is not going to allow. I thank God for the previous experience. I thank God for the revivals that you were a part of. I thank God for the movement because what you had, I pray that I have. But at the same time, I cannot get stuck measuring my experience up against your experience to determine who I am in God. Right? And so I have to be contented. 
And this one, to be honest, is one that I've probably struggled more than many of you because I've read deeply the studies of the history of Pentecostalism. I have studied about Azusa Street. I've studied the history of the Assemblies of God. I see the God's generals that were healing evangelists, and I, and I see that. And if I'm trying to replicate what God was doing in that season in my generation, I'm going to always feel insufficient. But I thank God that there are those among us that said, you know what, I don't have to do that. I'm contented, you know the old adage, I'm contented in my own skin, right? I'm contented with my own Pentecostal experience. But number two, number two, a new Pentecostal will not abandon the pillar of faith, will not abandon the pillar of faith that previous generations of Pentecostal believers held to. Just because I say I'm contented with my own Pentecostal experience, the reason why I can say that is because in my heart of hearts, I still stand on those pillars of faith that the previous generation stood on. We still believe in the charismatic function of the Holy Spirit. We still believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that He can come upon you. We believe God's promises to all His children. We believe God said that he would pour his Holy Spirit upon, upon men and women, upon rich and poor. We believe that as long as your heart is pliable and you're seeking, then you can obtain the very promises of God. Right? And we don't believe that God will limit this new generation any more than he limited the previous generation. Number three today. Number three, a new Pentecostal embraces spiritual gifts and manifestations of the Holy Spirit without becoming mystical. Listen, I'm going to tell you, you know who folks get on my nerves just a little bit? People that are so spiritual that you can't even have a practical conversation with them. When you are talking to them and you are weirded out because it's act like they look like they are looking into the angelic realm around you. And I'm not saying maybe they do. Maybe they've got, but I want you to know the Holy Spirit is not mystical and the Holy Spirit is not tied exclusively to emotionalism. Now, I believe in being emotional. I'm a crier. I can, when, when the Spirit of God comes upon me in certain times, especially things related to my family, I might cry for hours at a time. But I want you to know, I learned many years ago not to base what God is doing in the midst of the church based upon somebody's emotional reaction. I remember reading years ago the writings of Kenneth Hagin. Kenneth Hagin was in the Word of Faith movement, and I do believe it went a little the wrong direction. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But he wrote in his book on charismatic gifts, he said, you can't base what God's doing on what you're feeling. He said, I have literally seen people get up out of the wheelchair, healed by the power of God. He said, I didn't feel anything. So you can't tie the Pentecostal experience of the manifestation of spiritual gifts and his presence and power on your life to emotionalism. You can't read. Now, it doesn't mean, again, that we restrict or we're afraid of being emotional. We're not. I want to be cheerful. I want to have a loud voice. I want to lift up my hands in the sanctuary. If I want to sing and dance and do all those things that I feel, but I'm not going to tie my experience to exactly how I feel at that particular moment. Because human emotions, they can, they can confuse you. And they can deceive you. And if you're not careful, you'll think what's the human emotion is the work of the Spirit. Sometimes it might be, but it's not always. Right? Number four today, are y'all following so far? Are we doing pretty good? Are we connected real quickly? This one's going to hurt some of your feelings. But I'm going to go ahead and share it anyhow. But this is a new Pentecostal. A new Pentecostal gives priority to teaching and preaching of the Word of God over the public manifestation of ecstatic utterance. 
Static utterance is typically tongues in a public setting, not in private usage. We believe in public usage of tongues. We do. But we have learned that we believe that the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God in the collective corporate worship service should take priority. Now, if you read in the history of the Assemblies of God and the history of the Pentecostal movement, that this is conflicted at times. We've got a book that we use and we read here that was written in the 30s by one of the leaders in the Pentecostal movement in Great Britain named Donald G. He added an addendum to this book in 1947, and he addressed this very subject because it's his belief that the charismatic gifts can manifest themselves through the preaching of the Word of God. That a preacher or a teacher can come to a platform and he can have a prepared sermon and he can have a certain measure of oratorical ability that's tied to his own natural ability. But somewhere in the midst of his service, in the midst of his sermon, a divine unction from God can fall upon him. And it's noticeable to the hearer. The hearer can see when suddenly something just goes, something manifests itself. It's a divine unction. It's the power of the Spirit of God. It preaches Christ. It reveals the glory of God. It, suddenly that preacher's tongue becomes articulate and he paints a vivid picture in your eye and you behold the glory of God in the land of the living and you are thrust into the divine presence of God. And we've had that happen over and over again only for somebody to say at later, I wonder why God's not moving among us because nobody gave a message in tongues. Donald G. addressed that in this book, and I want you to know today, again, we believe in the public manifestation of ecstatic utterance, but we believe probably more in the private usage of it, where you build up your own most holy faith as you pray in the Holy Ghost, but the new Pentecostal gives priority to teaching and preaching of the Word of God. We do, and I'm not ashamed of that. Number five, a new Pentecostals, a new Pentecostals will continue to give great emphasis to praise and worship. Come on now. And guess what? The young, Shane, are going to continue to lead the way. The, it's shifted. The baton passed. And it passed from a generation that's older than I am. It's passed from my generation. And even Shane's barely hanging on. Because <laughs> it won't be long. At some time, he'll have to pass the baton to a, a generation that's coming. You know why? Because the generation of young folks in the earth today that are worshiping God, they are not tied to tradition. They're not bound by tradition. Hopefully they won't, they won't remove all tradition, but they let God give them a new song. They let God write a new song on their heart. It's fresh, it's current, and it's our responsibility to connect with them as they lead us into the presence of the living God. Oh, man, I miss, y'all miss a great place to really get behind me on that. I want you to know sacredness and worship is going to continue. It's going to continue. It's going to mark corporate worship. As a matter of fact, many Pentecostal churches, the reality is that some pastors in Pentecostal churches don't preach the style and the way that Pentecostal pastors used to preach. And if you compare their preaching to the generation bygone, they're going to seem shallow in their communication. And the, in, if you're not careful, you'll measure their anointing by their ability to articulate spiritual truths. But at the same time, their churches are growing and they're blossoming and the presence of God is among them. And it's because that they are leading men and women into the presence of God through praise and worship. And the last I read, God said, that he is enthroned amongst the praises of his people, right? That means that God chooses to sit in the midst of a people who will open their mouth and give God praise. 
and the new Pentecostals have seen this, and they're going to continue in this trend. Number six, a new Pentecostal will return to the right application of the word of faith. Some of you don't know what I mean by word of faith, but in the weeks ahead, you're going to, because the word of faith is near you. It's in your heart, and it's in your mouth, isn't it? The word of faith is when you see a text, a word, God quickens it in your spirit, writes it on the tablet of your heart, and you hold fast to your profession of faith. How many believe that there's power in the tongue of life and death, that you can create life or you can bring death through negativity of your profession or your confession? We talked Wednesday night with one of the members of our church about the generation and the culture that we're living in today have become so negative even in the church. And we bring damnation and death upon ourselves because we constantly profess and confess negative things. And we have to guard ourselves. Now, we have to do a better job as pastors and leaders in teaching you about the validity of the word of faith. What happened with the word of faith is that it stumbled into the prosperity gospel. Now, not that none, all of us here want to be prosperous, don't we? But every time I come to church, I don't need you to tell me how I can get a new Cadillac. Hello? Some of you say, I don't even know what a Cadillac is. I wouldn't want one anyhow. But what I'm saying is there was a season in the church in the Pentecostal element associated with the word of faith that in, instead of, of doing the works of Jesus, we got so engrossed with secular prosperity that we lost the true power of the word of faith. I'll tell you the word of faith right here. The word of faith is fear not, believe only. Speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. That's the word of faith. The word of faith is when you send your kids to a secular school, but before they go out, you say, Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over my sons and my daughters. I call heaven and earth at record against them today that an angel will go in front of them, an angel will come behind them, an angel will stand at the left hand, and an angel at the right hand. They're blessed coming in, and they're blessed going out. They're blessed in the store. I bless their futures. I bless their spouses that are don't even know. I pray the favor and the bless the word of faith when you are changing entire lineages of family because somebody got a word from God and determined to break generational curses by speaking the authoritative word of God. And a new Pentecostal is going to get that truth in their spirit and going to move into the right exercise of the word of faith. Man, I could get happy on that right there. I'll teach you. I promise you I'll teach you about it in the days ahead. That's a deal we'll make right here. Number seven, it's going to hurt some of your feelings too because you like to talk about him way more than I do. A new Pentecostal will give less emph emphasis on the devil. Bless his holy name. I mean, I'm telling you there are some Christians that their whole world is a cycle of constant awareness of the demonic, of darkness, of the other side. Of the dark side, of old Slewfoot, dragon, the devil, all of those things. I'm not trying to deny the existence of, I know everybody here, we know there's a very real entity, a fallen angel, we can call him Lucifer, we can call him everything that we want to, but you reach a place in your life where you don't want to be so engrossed with the devil when you can think about the goodness of God. And your emphasis can shift to instead of just always resisting the devil, how about just pleasing the Father? I'm not saying don't resist the devil. The Bible plainly says resist the devil and he will flee from you. But it is preceded by draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
And so I, I see in the new Pentecostal generation that we're going to give greater emphasis on pleasing the Father. Number eight, that's a good place to be at. Number eight, new Pentecostals are going to continue to be involved politically. Go ahead, let me just say this. We ain't going nowhere. Right? We, got, we got involved. It took Pentecostals sit on the sideline for a long time. We were so engrossed with the coming of the Lord. Thank God we still believe in the coming of the Lord. But we were so engrossed with the coming of the Lord that we were uh, ready to abandon our government, ready to abandon all secular causes, all uh, cultural issues, and, and just expect God to rapture us out. But something began to happen a few years ago when Pentecostal said, it's time for me to get involved. It's time for me to be involved. And I want you to know we are concerned for the trajectory of this nation. We care for the unborn. We care for the sanctity of marriage. We work for and, for and with foster care and adoption. We're going to continue to be benevolent, right? We are. That's who we are. And we're going to work against human trafficking. But we're also going to do more than just preach against certain moral issues, which is what we were good at for a long time. But the new Pentecostal is going to come alongside of those who long for true and lasting change through true repentance and then discipleship. We're going to come along. I tell people all the time, I'll work with you as long as your heart's pure. As long as you say, I'm trying, I'll work with you. If you turn your back and walk away, I don't got any choice but to let you go. Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. But at the same time, if you're willing to say, Pastor, I'm struggling with something, we'll do our very best to get involved with you, right, and to help you. New Pentecostals are going to continue to be involved in the political arena. Number nine, a new Pentecostal will answer the call to the mission field. The heartbeat of the assemblies of God is that people had the courage to take the gospel around the world. I'll give you an example of this very quickly in the Assemblies of God. The Assemblies of God is the nation's 10th largest denomination. We're the 10th largest denomination. We, uh, are, we dim in comparison to the Southern Baptists, to the Methodists, to uh, the Church of Christ. The Church of God in Christ is even a larger uh, Pentecostal denomination than we are. We're the 10th, uh, the Methodists. But worldwide, they dim in comparison to the Assemblies of God. Because in 1914, the original founders of the Assemblies of God said, we're going to send missionaries across the waters with a bold, empowered word of preaching all the gospel. We're going to send them over there with a fresh anointing. They're going to go into all the world, and they're going to shine the light into the darkness. They're going to heal the sick. They're going to raise the dead. They're going to trust God to be who he said he was. This will bring me into number 10. Number 10 is a new Pentecostal. It's going to be like the old Pentecostal. We're going to expect God to be the God of the miraculous. That's who we are. We're going to believe that. How many of you know that with God, all things are possible? Don't tell me there's not hope. There's always hope in God. I want you to know if I had taken you to the third chapter of the book of Ephesians when we closed off in chapter number 2 and verse number 21 or 22 last week. In the third chapter, the apostle Paul says, now unto him that is able... Now unto him, Paul is writing to the Ephesians that he said, you're in covenant with God. You were a stranger and foreigner, but now you are a fellow citizen of the saint, and you are the household of God. So Paul said, let me go ahead and tell you about this God that you're now in covenant with, so that you can know him and see him to the very best of your ability. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think. Now I don't know about you, I can ask or think for a lot. Come on, your children can at Christmas time. 
right? And so can you. And I want you to know today that the new Pentecostal is going to continue to believe that God is a God of the miraculous. That's been the belief of our forefathers, and it's our belief as well. I'm not going to let the world put its unbelief, the secular mindset. God is hidden in heaven, but he reveals himself through a strong and mighty arm. Jesus himself said, the works that I do shall you do also. I know today that if you and I can believe God, we have to challenge ourselves to believe him. The Bible plainly says, the arm of the Lord is not shortened and the ear of the Lord is not deafened. I want you to know, he said, call upon my name. Right, call upon my name and I will do great and mighty exploits. That word has been preached in Pentecostalism for 130 years. And as long as this new generation of Pentecostals determines to continue building upon that foundation, then we're going to hold fast to those truths and we're going to pass them off to our children as well. Number 11, this is going to shock you. A new Pentecostal will be more inclusive. I know some of you are going, I cannot believe. So obviously I decided to turn the page. And go ahead and go forward because I'm moving at a correct pace. Number 11, more inclusive. Now you said, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Because that don't sound like you. But not in the cultural distorted sense. Rather in this sense right here. This is in, not contrast, but it complements number one. It's in the sense that your spirit-filled experience may not look just like mine. But I'm not going to measure your gift of grace against mine. In the other one, number one, I was going to have to learn to be contented to, be, to, to rest in my experience, to validate it. But now in this position, what I've decided is just because you don't worship God exactly the way that I do, just because your gift of tongues or your spirit baptism or your view of spiritual gifts differs from mine, I'm not going to shun you away. I'm going to be more inclusive and say, I'm not going to measure your Pentecostal experience against mine. What, matter of fact, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be patient. We're going to be patient with one another, and we're going to sharpen one another through the spiritual gifts of God that he's working in our heart and life. Amen? That's what, So we are going to be more inclusive. Now, that's different. Now, some of you said, Pastor, I haven't really noticed that. But if you'd look back in the history of Pentecostalism, that was a very difficult thing. Because if you didn't have the same fervency, if you didn't speak in tongues with a certain way or a certain language, or if you didn't pursue it the right way, then to one degree, you were not viewed as Pentecostal. And I'm not going to do that today. If you believe in spiritual gifts, you believe in the continuation, if your heart is connecting to this message today, then I want you to know I view you as a Pentecostal, and our hearts are knit, knit together in love and we're just praying for God to have his way among us right number 12 a new Pentecostal some of these are what is happening some of these in my personal opinion are things that need to happen a new Pentecostal must learn to pursue holiness now with I could spend a lot of time on this and I want but we know that in the Pentecostal movement sanctification was a critical doctrine and it involved the way that you your, your lifestyle choices, and it ended up with a certain model. There was a certain model. When you know, if you, how many of you ever go into? Uh, I guess they've got mannequins today, and maybe the sporting uh, stores. You know, you've got these. Oftentimes today, I mean, I don't even want to go in there because the the individual that's sporting that new shirt or outfit, that model. I mean, he's he's all ripped and chiseled, and I'm like, when I put it on that shirt on, it's not going to look like that, right? Well, so we did that in the church for a while. We had a model. You know, we had a model. You had to do this a certain way. You had to do this a certain way, right? You had to not do this or do that. And if, as long as you followed that, 
then that we gave you the stamp that you're walking in holiness. And what happened is when the church separated, some of that became legality. And we talk about it. We use the term legalism. I don't know if that's the right word that we should be using, but it is the term that we typically use. But what happened is, unfortunately, we swung the pendulum all the way to the other side. And now, God forbid that you step in the pulpit and challenge people about certain things. God forbid. That's wrong, too. Right? I believe the truth links somewhere in the middle. You've got to learn to not grieve the Spirit of God. How many know that we live in a culture when you can have all kinds of music available right away? Right away. I'm talking right away. And you've got your ear headphones on and you're doing your thing. I'm telling you, there's a lot of music that a, a Pentecostal believer doesn't need to be listening to. I mean, there's a lot of programs that come on your television that you don't need to be watching. I'm just going to be honest. Why, Pastor Brad? Because it grieves the Spirit of God. Does it not make you a Christian? And I'm not talking about that. It grieves the Holy Spirit. It hinders the anointing in your life. It restricts and restrains your worship. And when you come into the house of God, you are troubled in mind because you have not renewed yourself in the presence of God. So a new generation of Pentecostals are going to have to learn to pursue holiness without it becoming the legalism of bygone generations. Right? Number 13 today, a new Pentecostal. This is going to hurt a few of your feelings must accept changes in the structure of and culture of the church services. Now, what does that mean, Pastor Ron? What are you saying by that? Let me just say this. Pentecostals have always, this chair, can I swap this water? I have emptied this. I've reached the bottom, and I've run out. But no, no, that one. I don't want your water. Sorry. <laughs> Sherry's probably got some plexus or something in there, some orange mango mixed in there. <laughs> Pentecostals have always valued the church service experience because we pursued the presence of God. As a matter of fact, it can become addictive in a good way till you long to be there. When you, have you ever been, I, I just believed, and it didn't feel that way this morning, but based upon emotionalism, so I, won't, I shouldn't always capture that because that's making me miss the point that I just shared with you, but but when the pre I do believe we're on the verge, we're on the cuspus of something, don't y'all? I mean, we're in the midst of COVID, and people, but, but people have been coming. And, you know, at times there's a heightened sense of the presence of God. And anybody that's ever been to, uh, been a part of a church that was experienced a heightened sense of the presence of God, you can't wait to get there. You can't wait because you're drawn there, like the, the Bible says, as the heart panteth for the water brook, so my soul thirsteth for the living God. We long for his presence. We can't wait to be there. As a matter of fact, in the Pentecostal movement, we typically have a lot more Marys than we do Martha. What do you mean by that, Pastor Brown? Mary wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear the word of God. Martha wanted to serve on the serve team. In the assemblies of God and Pentecostalism, when the Spirit of God is moving, it's a lot uh, more difficult to get Martha because Martha wants to be Mary. She wants to be in the presence of the living God. So we've always valued the corporate worship service. But a lot of things have been changing in the new Pentecostal. Our times of worship and hours and numbers seem to have diminished from previous generations. But here's the key. Here's the key. But not our value of the services. Not our value, and we have to be very diligent about this. I want to be able to say with the new generation of Pentecostals, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. 
I want there to be an excitement in my heart from the time I get up in the morning, and I want it to be in yours. I want you to get up in the morning, whether it's 6 or 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, whatever time it is that you get up and you start thinking about that 10 a.m. start time. I want you to start just worshiping under your breath, getting your heart and mind ready, getting your spirit of praise on you. Take off. Let me tell you, take off that garment. Take off that heavy garment at home. Right? Don't wait for the first two songs to take the heavy garment off. Get up in the morning and say, I'm going to take off the heavy garment and I'm going to put on the garment of praise so that when I get out of my automobile and I shut the door, I can begin to feel the presence of an omnipotent God. I walk through the doors and somebody greets me and says, hello, God bless you. And you go around and you're welcoming one another and greeting one another and you can't wait for them to strike the first chord. You can't wait for somebody to sing a song and lift up the name of Jesus. You can't wait to be able to raise your hands and worship God and then you can't wait you sit with bated breath for a man or woman of God to step up behind this podium and open a sacred text and receive of the engrafted word which is able to save your soul a vivid image of the glory of God gets created in your heart and mind you could say pastor I could be blind and still see the glory of God as I hear the word of God preached under divine unction so a new Pentecostal is going to accept the changes in the structure and the culture of the church, but we are going to always long. I'm preaching way better than y'all shouting right there. We're going to always long for the presence of the living God in the house of God. We value corporate worship. We believe that God manifests himself. I believe God can walk up and down the aisles of this church in the midst of our worship service. The glory of God could come ushering into this place. And we're going to accept the changes, but we're not going to lose our value of the time that we give to worship God, the time that we get to worship God. Now, this one's important right here, too, number 14. Are you all out there today? You're saying, some of you are going, Pastor, I'm writing these down. Others are just like, Pastor, at least I know there's an end in sight. Come on, that's true. It might not be funny, but it is true. Number 14, a new Pentecostal is not going to abandon technology. We need it. I'm using it here today, aren't I? Right? I, I can point up here on the screen. Many times I have the scripture text up there. We follow it. We walk it down. We're not going to abandon technology. Matter of fact, we want to continue to use it. We're using Facebook Live. We're going to try to upgrade cameras and maybe go to YouTube or put it on our own Facebook or our, our own website. All those things are good. But I want to say this. I'm tired of the mirage. I don't want the image. I want the real thing. I'm tired in one sense. Stop filling our sanctuaries with smoke and fog and telling me that's the presence of God. When he comes in, I know it. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to blow fog across the, the screen or, or, or across the stage and, and tell me that's the Shekinah glory of God. When the Shekinah glory of God comes into this house, every person under the sound of my voice knows when he's here. You'll know it the moment that he walks in. I'm telling you, the moment that Jesus appeared to his disciples in Galilee, he suddenly drove darkness into every corner of the room. And the light of his glory was felt by every person. And when we have Christ glorified in our midst, you won't have to put it on the screen right it'll be within us among us and we'll be able to worship him and so again let me say it one more time we're not going to abandon it but we're not going to allow that to be the mirage we want the real thing number 15 that's good isn't it a new pentecostal is going to be now i know you're going to die i know sherry go ahead and move the van or the car right there it's at the back go ahead and turn it around and point it get that door open give me two security guards on either side 
But I'm going to go ahead and hurt your feelings on this one. The new Pentecostal is going to be more suspect of the high-profile preachers and prophets who predict world events because they ain't batting a 1,000. I'll just go ahead. I know it's not good English, but it's the truth. So we've all seen, read, and heard the doomsday predictions, and yet here we are. I know you didn't say amen to that, but I'll go ahead and say it again. We've all seen, read, and heard the doomsday predictions, and yet here we are. And here we are. Let me go ahead and say this to you real quickly. Jay's preached two weeks ago now, three weeks ago, about it's 9 o'clock somewhere. You know, right before that, right before that, Jason, chapter number 1, his disciples were asking the same question that the church continues to ask year after year. They asked this. They said, Jesus, will the Father at this time put in his own power? You know, they were disappointed that Jesus did not take, retake the city of Jerusalem and drive the Romans out. They were disappointed. And they thought, well, man, you know what? All right, he's resurrected. Well, now they can't touch him. I mean, if you're resurrected, you're not worried about death, correct? So now they think this is our moment. We're about, he's, remember what he said? It's not for you to know. I knew, that, just thank God for one person. Give me amen on that one. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. He said, but you shall receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you. And so I wrote it this way. I'm going to just be honest. I'm sorry. I may not buy that book, and I may not attend that conference because the new Pentecostal is going to be more suspect of the high-profile preachers who are predicting election results. Oh, that's all right. I'm preaching it because it's true, and you need to hear it. And also prophets who predict world events. Be very careful. I believe in the spirit of prophecy. I believe in divine unction. But I don't know if what we see today in the image in every book that comes out, every charisma uh, news article that's, that, that, that's, that's on the website is actually a divine prophetic word for this generation. So be very, very careful. The new Pentecostal is going to be more suspect. Doesn't mean that we don't embrace the spirit of prophecy, but the Bible says we're to judge prophecy. Number 16, a new Pentecostal must learn intimacy with God in prayer. Right? You're going to have to learn to be alone with God and not be, a, uh, and not be uncomfortable. You're going to have to learn that, that there's a thing called intimacy with God. Intimacy is communion. It's not just asking and requesting and petitioning. There is a time to petition God, but there's a time to just be broken and humbled before Him. There's a time when you just bow before Him or you raise your eyes toward heaven, and it's not that you're asking and petitioning, but you're simply saying, God, I want to be in communion with you. I want to be in fellowship with you. I want to worship you. I want to pursue your presence. And I want to inquire of your goodness. Right? Without ever asking for anything at all. God, I just want to be conformable to the image of your son. Let me tell you, the power of the Pentecostal experience will forever be lacking if we don't learn to be intimate with God in prayer. So I want to challenge you. If you are waiting to pray when you get to this house, I'm not saying it's too late. I'm saying you're missing opportunities that God has created for you to come boldly into his presence. And secondly, tied to this one, the power of intercession. We, we need a new generation of intercessors to emerge amongst this new generation of Pentecostals. If there is one thing that I can look back on in my studies of the history of the Pentecostal movement and my own personal experiences, we had a generation of especially women who were intercessors before God. 
You know what intercessor, intercession means? It means to stand betwixt two. King James Version. Stand betwixt two. It's a joining. It's a mediator. It's pulling something together. It's carrying somebody's burden before God and saying, God, I come in today and to intercede on behalf of my family or this person or this country. And we need a new generation of intercessors to emerge. But listen to this. I'm almost finished. You can see this is number 16. We're almost there. True intercession will emerge from the strength of your communion and fellowship that you have with intimacy in God, with God in prayer. So if all you do is come in to intercede and you don't ever bond with the Father in fellowship and communion, then your voice doesn't have power. But when you have power with God is when you are intimate with God. Number 17, the new Pentecostal is going to have to learn the word. Oh, hallelujah. I can say it. I'm going to say it this way. He or she's going to have to become strong in the scriptures. It's time for you to learn the word of God. Let me go ahead and tell you, it's time for you to learn the word of God. Listen, if you're still calling Job, Job, and Malachi, Malichi, something is wrong. Hello? If the pages of your Bible are still stuck together, then you're not in the Word enough. Right? Are y'all out there today? I'm talking today that we have allowed and created a dependency upon others to study for us and then to teach us. That needs to be replaced by an earnest desire to search the Scriptures daily. You know what? I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to any of those things. I'm not trying to take away from that. Looking back, I probably wish I had. But at the same time, I put myself on my own personal journey. I sat with a disciple. I sat with a mentor, somebody that taught me. I separated my time. I would go over to his house during, the, during my work week, and I'd spend lunch with him. And we had opened the scriptures together, and I went through a process of discipleship. I learned to hide the word of God in my heart, and I learned to cry out for revelation knowledge, for God to teach me his word. I began to pray and say, God, give me memorization of the word of God. When I went in the Air Force and I was at my duty station, in those days, the fatigues that I wore and the, and the, and the, and the BDUs, the battle dress uniform had pockets right here. I kept the Gideon's Bible with me, a New Testament, so that when I had time alone, I could pull out the New Testament, and I could read the scriptures, and I could write the word of God on my heart. I would pray over it and say, God, teach it. Reveal it to me. Give me truth. Father God, I desire truth. Let me sell all that I have that I might buy the truth, and then sell the truth not. That's what I became, and I want you to know, I went on my journey, and you got to go on your journey. We will never have true word of faith if we don't have the word hidden in our heart. You'll never begin to be able to truly, you say, Pastor, I'm engrossed with spiritual warfare. Well, let me tell you, you will never be able to defeat the enemy in spiritual warfare if you don't have the word in your heart. The spirit of God's got to be able to draw out of you, draw out of you a word from God. And you've got to be able to articulate it. And it comes from studying and reading the word for yourself. Number 18, a new Pentecostal is going to care for his or her fellow believers. And Shane, I do want the worship team to come back today. It would be appropriate. A new Pentecostal is going to care for his or her fellow believers. Did y'all hear that? How many know the tendency in the church had fallen in the American culture was to expect the pastor or the care team to do the work of caring for the church members? You know what? I believe that's going to be replaced by an authentic relationship and compassion. Before I was out last week, 
Sherry and I was over at the Cummer family preparing for Bobby's funeral that was unfortunately, everything changed because Bobby's family had a new uh, outbreak of COVID. So this is a week ago. I was there Friday and then Saturday uh, we had the new outbreak of COVID so we had to alter the funeral services. And so before I could ask them about, um, about meals, uh, they, they said, well, they said, well, uh, Mary, Mary Lynn Evans, Doug and Mary Lynn's bringing a meal over, and uh, Julie Allender and Dylan are bringing a meal over. So before that I could even ask the corporate body, people that were in communion and fellowship and relationship had already did what they know to do, and that is show the kindness of God to people. I want you to know that I rejoice over that. I've told you before that I teared up the day that I was sitting in the air-conditioning living room at y'all's home, 70 Quail Hollow Cove, and my son Anthony was on the riding lawnmower. But y'all don't understand what that means. Let me say it one more time. He was out there in the 92-degree heat, and I was in the air-conditioned house watching him while I was drinking a cup of lemonade. And I teared up because it was a profound moment in my life because the transition was happening. He was growing up and maturing. He was doing his part. He'd been living there free for all his life, room and board. It was time for him to show up and produce something. And so when I hear stories like that and I see people that, not that I'm trying to take away from the care team and serve teams because we've got to do that and we've got to improve in 2021 than where we've been in the past. But I want to say this, when you know to do good, do it. Man, that's a good point right there. When you know to do good, then just simply do it. That's being who God's called you to be. I believe that's a new Pentecostal. Number 19, we're almost there, and we're going to close. A new Pentecostal. This is very careful. Oh, geez. Sherry, why are you still here, Sister Sherry? You're supposed to be over there at the door right now. A new Pentecostal's got to be careful with gender equality. Let me, let me explain for you what I mean by that. Again, I'm not speaking of the gender neutrality of this secular world. Come on, somebody help me other than just Rachel. Come on. I'm not speaking of the gender neutrality of this secular world, but I want to say this. I'm talking about being Pentecostal. How many know the Pentecostal experience belongs to all of God's children, male and female? I, the Bible says upon handmaidens and servants of the Lord and, and upon you know, men and women, that original prophetic word in Acts 2 spoke of young and old and male and female. And I read a text to you last week that God said that in Christ there's neither male nor female, neither, neither Jew nor Greek, correct? Didn't I read that text to you? But I want you to know all are equal in love and value to God and all can be used by the Spirit of God. But hear this, Scripture teaches clearly defined roles in both the home and the church. Clearly. And listen, the secular should not define the sacred. But unfortunately, it is. So I want to say this to you. I want you to hear this. We must guard against the cultural movement of stripping men of their masculinity in order to elevate women. A man walking in his masculinity wants to lift the women in his life. Right? He sees that as his calling. He sees that God's put that upon his life to be a protector and a lifter, a blesser of his house and his family. And so God's clearly defined order both in the home and the church is what produces his greatest blessing. So this new generation of Pentecostals, listen very careful. Let's be very careful with gender equality. Let's not fall into the trap of the secular. Let's go to the scriptures 
And let's present it in a scriptural way. Number 20, lastly, as the worship team joins me up here, this one's going to surprise you. A new Pentecostal's got to stay in his or her lane. What does that mean, Pastor Brown? You've got to stay in your his or her lane. What that means is as you mature in your faith, you will discover that God's put certain gifts and callings in your life. And you will begin to mature in those. And you'll begin to sharpen those. And you'll begin to see that that's what enables you to do what God's called you to do is the giftings he's placed inside you. And what the point I'm going to make in closing this to say a new Pentecostal is going to be a man or a woman that stays in his or her lane is because they're going to know their calling and they're going to know their distinct giftings and they cannot be or they cannot do anything other than what God called them to do. I can't, I can't do what Shane does. I'm not gifted to do what he does. That calling is not upon my life. God forbid that I try to come to the church and connect with other men and women of faith and I try to do things that the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the gifts and the callings of God that are not in me to do. You know what I'll do? I'll make your life miserable. Hello? I'll make your life miserable and you'll separate from me very, very quickly and then I'll always feel I will feel incomplete in my own personal walk before God because I'll feel like I'm not obtaining the things. If I go out and try to be an evangelist, let me tell you, I'm going to fail miserably because the gift of an evangelist is not in me. Now, I can preach evangelistically. I can, Paul said for Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, which means I can lead somebody to Christ. But if I try to go from church to church to church and put it in, on a billboard and put it in people's bulletin, evangelist, evangelist Lee Brown is coming to a church near you somewhere, I want you to know there'll be three people in attendance. Because, I'm, because it wouldn't take long to discover that the gifting does not equate to the title that I've assumed upon myself. But if I can say, Pastor Lee Brown, with a caring heart and a shepherd's gift and a, the touch of a shepherd and the desire to teach you and build your life up, then people are drawn to that. Why? Because that's the gift of God. I always remember this, and I'm going to close with this point real quickly here today and tie it to this one. I remember the story of David so vividly when his first moment to face Goliath on the battlefield. Does anybody remember that? First Samuel chapter number 17. And David has come from his father's house with cheese and bread to the, to the battle. He was the youngest who kept the sheep, and he wasn't allowed to go. But you know why? He was keeping the father, his father's sheep. How many know God was preparing him for something, wasn't it? God was preparing him for something greater than what he was doing at that particular moment. So he arrives there, and Goliath comes down from the camp of the Philistines, and he does what he had done for 40 days previously. He cursed the God of Israel, and he challenged the men of Israel to send one man. Don't send the whole army. Send one man. And not a single man had the courage to come and fight Goliath. Does everybody remember that story? It's so filled with imagery and truth, male or female. You need to read it and study it because God can speak to your life out of it. Finally, when David inquired about what was taking place, some viewed it as arrogance. And finally, they just reported it to the king, and the king sent for him. And so you got to imagine that he had never seen royalty in his life. He's just a 17-year-old young man. He had been in the sheepfold his whole life. And so here he is standing in the tent with all the soldiers that protect the king and the king himself. The king's sons are present. 
the king's trusted advisors are present. And they bring in this, what's perceived to be a brash young man. He's not brash. How many know he's confident? He's been alone with God in intimate worship. And he knows that God is able. He knows of the power of God. And he said this to the king. He said, king, don't let any man's heart fail him because of the Goliath. He said, your servant will go and fight him. So after he gave a little bit of testimony to why he had such a confidence, y'all know that story, the bear and the lion had come out in the night and stolen sheep from his flock, and by his own bare hands, he had killed a lion and a bear. When you've done something like that, I'm talking, that's a country boy who can't survive right there on a whole new level, right? He said, by his own hands, he, he said, I killed the bear and the lion, and he said, and that Philistine will be like them. So he said, all right, Saul just said, we're going to let you do it. You want to do it, do it. They've been asking for a man to fight Goliath. We're going to let you go. And here's what they did, and this is why I want to close with this one, because this is where you are at, and we all find ourselves here at different times in life. They took Saul's armor, armor that had been forged and fastened exclusively for Saul, who's the king of Israel, and they put it on David. That meant they would have put a helmet on his head, they would have put a coat of mail on him and then possibly even ironclad or metallic, beaten metallic armor on top of that. Not for sure about that. He would have been given a sword. It would have went all the way down to his feet. He would have had boots on to protect his feet. He would have had an armor bearer go in front of him. He would have had a large shield that he would carry and he would have had a sword. And David allows him to put it all on him and he starts to walk out of the king's uh, you know, tent. And as he's walking out of the tent, there's clanking and, and he's stumbling. And finally, he has a revelation. This is not who I am today. I don't know about this. I'm not confident in this. I've never proven this. I can't do this. I can't do this. This, this is going to hinder the call of God on my life. I don't know about the sword. I don't know about the shield. I don't know about the armor. I don't know about the crown. I don't know about anything. But I know about a sling. I've seen God anoint the sling. And with the sling, I've got the confidence that I can take the giant. And I want you to know the new generations, as you stand up, of Pentecostals that are in the church today are going to stay in his or her lane. That means you're going to know your gift, you're going to know your calling, and you're going to use it for the glory of God. And in doing so, God's going to do great exploits in your life. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed in the presence of God. Today, I want to ask you a question today. Are you a new Pentecostal? Are you a believer that says, Pastor, I'm a believer in Christ, but the way and the means that the world perhaps identifies me and also the way and the means in which I worship Christ, yeah, I guess I am. I'm a Pentecostal. I didn't know it, but I'm a Pentecostal. I want you to know today, I'm trusting my heart to be knit together with yours. That together we can be a new generation. That together we can be a fellowship. That the presence of God can come. I, I'm telling you, church family, I'm sensing something in my spirit unlike what we have seen in the last 18 years that Sherry and I have been the pastor of this church, that we are on the precipice of something bigger, something greater, something that's going to go beyond any border that we have ever established previously. I'm believing that God is raising up Heber First Assembly to be a light of Pentecostal charismatic renewal in this community. And I want to ask you to run 
run alongside of me. Let's join our hearts together and let's be who God's called us to be in Jesus' name. I feel that in my spirit. Now, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm going to be honest with you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Shane's going to lead us in worship. We're going to close in worship today. We're going to close in song and exaltation to his name. But if you're here today, twofold, I want to encourage you. Number one, if you came here today and your heart is downcast, you're going through trial, you're going through difficult things, I'll tell you what, they challenged you in song earlier. Jace challenged you in the exhortation. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless His name. Pour out your praise. It, you may be broken. You may be wounded. You may be hurting. But let me tell you, Pentecostals for 130 years have poured out their broken praise to God. And they have seen the handiwork of God. They've watched God heal their heart, heal their hurts, and give them a new beginning. Number two, if you're here today, this is where I'm going to give you a chance to raise your hand. Nobody's going to look around but me. And you say, Pastor, I'm kind of new to this thing called Pentecostal. But you know what? I want to be who God's called me to be. I feel my heart being connected to a movement, connected to a people group. Pray for me today, Pastor, that I'll be who God's called me to be. And the Pentecostal experience won't be just something I read about in a book or that I notice is in somebody else's life but it will be in my own life as well. If that's you, quickly slip your hand up because I want to pray over you today in Jesus' name. I see some hands that are going up around this room today. People are being honest before the Lord. Now, church family, I want to ask you to do two things with me. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to do what I am most comfortable doing. I'm going to come down, and I'm going to stand at this altar, and I'm just going to worship. I'm going to worship for a few moments with you because God deserves all the praise. I want you to leave here with a song in your heart. And so if you want to come to the altar and worship, you come. You want to come and pray, come. You want to kneel right where you're at. You kneel right where you're at. Make this house a house of worship. Do that today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I've reached the end. God, there's no more I can say. I've shared my heart. I've shared my expectation. But I believe that we're going to see the continual emergence of a new Pentecostal. And God, we are just grateful. I'm grateful today to be a part of the movement that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus that your spirit would work in the midst of all of us. And I close by praying for all those who raise their hand. I pray over them the prophetic prayer of Moses the man of God, in Numbers 11, when he said, I would that all of God's children were prophets and that he would put his spirit upon them all. May your spirit fill every one of us to be who you have called us to be. And may our experience that is being labeled Pentecostal bring you glory in all things and in every part of our lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. And amen. Would y'all worship the Lord with us today?